We are coming to the end of National Podcast Post Month, 2023. We are at the penultimate day, you might say, day number 29. And this day will mark our final encore presentation of the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, where Train and I induct the movie studio Amicus Productions. And as you'll hear in the show, they are most famous for doing horror films in the 60s and 70s. They were a competitor to the more famous Hammer films. So if you are not a fan of horror, you may want to skip this one. Don't worry, I won't be offended, my feelings won't be hurt or anything like that, but if you don't like horror, there's not much talk in this episode that isn't about horrors. You can come back tomorrow. But if you like horror, especially some of the more obscure, the more cult following type films, and this is definitely the show for you. So here we go with another induction into the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. We're training I will. In- so here we go. I believe this was our ninth induction into the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. Crazy Train and myself talk about Amicus Productions. Geekville Radio. again, fellow geeks and geekettes, this is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville, a host of most of the Geekville Radio shows, and as we like to say for Geekville Radio, for our lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame, we are not limiting to just certain types of characters. Throughout the course of our past inductions, we've inducted superheroes, we've inducted pulp characters, we've inducted sci-fi characters, we've inducted real people last year with Forrest J. Ackerman. We've inducted a movie with the black hole. And this time around, we are inducting not just a movie, but an entire movie studio. And to elaborate on that, I will turn it over to my usual co-host here for Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, coming from the nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I I don't – this will be the first time we've done a whole studio, I believe. I I think as a a horror guy – Everybody knows the the classic Universal monsters of the 30s, and a lot of people know the Hammer stuff coming out of Britain in the 50s, which was just colorized retellings of the Universal classic monsters with the incredible Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee being the star in most of those. Amicus, which is who we are going to induct today, was, I think – their main rival at the time and is much less known than Hammer, which is why I think it it actually qualifies as lesser known Geek Hall of Fame. I think to drive that point home, I think it's in the second paragraph of the description of Amicus Productions on their Wikipedia entry that says, even flat out says that a lot of their stuff, their horror stuff was confused by fans at the time with Hammer movies. So right. how familiar were you with Amicus before I suggested this, Seth? We will get into the two movies that I know the most, but I'll be brief with them on this episode because I've done an entire episode of Examining the Doctor on the two Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies. Right. But I, it, it, I was kind of in the same boat that I wasn't sure of the difference. And I, I was familiar with Jack Palance and Michael Goff in past horror films. I don't know if Jack Palance did anything right. for, for Hammer. He did. But, he okay. did. Not for Hammer, but he did for Amicus. Right, but I know Michael Goff did. So, and we'll we'll get into some of those titles because we're going to run through some of the big 
Anarchist movies is kind of the main body of this. So I think it is very fitting because some of these movies I'd actually heard of, but mm-hmm. I, you know, but hadn't really seen. There, there were the type of things where I lived you would have seen on Channel 60 or Channel 66, the UF station, UHF station. At like 1, o- one o'clock yeah, on one a Thursday night. Or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, when you can't sleep. And so you do fall into that category. If you'd even seen one, you'd say, oh, this is a Hammer movie. That's that, that, that type of thing, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, knew, I knew most of those Dracula movies. And I know we're going to talk about Amicus, but like you had just said, you can't really tell the story of Amicus without bringing up Hammer because of their similarities and them being rivals. And really, according to who you listen to, that one of the ideas pitched for a Frankenstein movie, I think it actually was pitched by the creators, Milton Sabatsky and Max J. Rosenberg, who formed the company. They had actually tried to do a Frankenstein movie, Mm -hmm. which became Curse of Frankenstein, which kind of kicked off the, the Hammer film run of horror movies. Does that match with what you've heard? Yeah, you've got to understand the difference between American cinema and British cinema at the time. We're talking mid-50s, early 60s, so this is not that far removed from World War II. And the American cinema, the American cinnamon, or cinnamon, American cinema. Uh. American cinnamon can be very tasty. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I must have pumpkin spice on my mind. It's, it's, it's that time of year, right? But it's, it, they're very different. American cinema industry is the epitome of capitalism, where there is very little to any government regulation the era we're talking about, there wasn't even a there wasn't even a a rating system yet, and any kind of regulation that happens in American cinema is self imposed, like the rating system, even you know, the Academy uh, Awards. Right, right. right. There, there's no government body that says what you can and cannot do in filmmaking. Right, and and granted, some creative producers will get grants and stuff to to produce their movies here in America but those are usually documentaries the government stays very hands off on entertainment only type films and any of the uh, public monies in America you see going towards film and television production is educational that's it and because of that during this era you had the major hollywood studios had what they call contract players they would sign big stars to exclusive contracts. I think probably one of the most uh, recent that we could think of like that uh, would be make, maybe like the deal that Adam Sandler cut with Netflix. Was it like eight or 10 films? He's that there, but that's one guy basically going to a production company and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my services and you're going to help me pay the bill. Yeah. It, but it, it was it's a kind producer of, type approach. You might say it's, it's what a producer right. does. Whereas where in this era in America, you would have 20th Century Fox or MGM or whoever take a star, name any big star nowadays, Matthew McConaughey, whatever, and, and would sign them and say, you have to do X number of films for us and you can't work for any other studio. And and when you saw a star in that era do a do a movie for a studio they were not under contract for, it was usually the, the, two, the two studios had worked something out. We're going to give you this star for this movie, and there was usually an exchange of money too. My understanding Is that right. how you understood it as well, right? Right, yeah. A lot of a lot of actors will sign multi-picture contracts with a studio, and so that's why you will see some actors that do real stinkers of movies. 
It's not necessarily that they're like, oh, wow, I got to do this movie. It's because it, it's something that they did to fulfill the contract. Right. And that that system has kind of died here in America. That You might have a, a star sign a, multi, a multi-picture deal with one studio. The most, the most recent being like Samuel Jackson, Chris Evans, the guys in the MCU. Right. But they're still able to do movies for other studios. Exactly. At the same yes. time. It's, there's, there's no, there is no exclusivity clause in these contracts. Britain, on the other hand, and t- even to this day is still this way. Uh, you see it in a lot of other countries like the, with, with thriving film industries, Canada, Australia, uh, Japan, where the government will fund partially some of even entertainment stuff. These a horror, been a horror guy, David Cronenberg, got a lot of money for his early movies before he came to Hollywood and did stuff like The Fly. He got money from the Canadian government to make his horror movies. They were part of it's part of their arts foundation. You just never had that in America. And but but because of that being more controlled by the government, you also did not have the contract system there. So it was not unusual to see a known star work for multiple studios in the same calendar year in a place like Britain or Canada, which right. explains as we get into more of the history of Amicus why you would see so many quote-unquote hammer stars also show up in Amicus films too. But you are correct in your in your Sabowski and, 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 and Rosenberg had a draft of an idea to revive another interpretation of the Mary Shelley Frankenstein story. Of course, it had, that had been a hit in the 30s for Universal, but they had to, to – now, one thing we didn't mention is Sabowski and Rosenberg, even though they were making films in Britain, they were Americans. Yeah, this was this was a British production studio that was formed by two Americans. Right. They go over to Britain. They decide to make films over there using British locations, British talent. The camera cast and crew are going to be British people. They pitch this idea, but because there is that government oversight in Britain, they have to present it to the British Arts Council. And it got given to Hammer instead. <laughs> and so right. that was the first of the Hammer horror cycle, that what they would become most known for. Hammer had been doing movies pre-World War II, but they didn't really start getting into the horror movies until the late 50s. And the first movie they did was The Curse of Frankenstein, which was basically this idea that Sabotsky and Rosenberg – or Sabotsky, I should say. Sabotsky and Rosenberg had pitched – and the British Arts Council decided to give it to Hammer instead of the two of them. And they were kind of like, well, I guess we'll start our own studio then, which is what they yeah. did. And thus yeah, that's Amicus the way I heard was it. Yeah. born. And, that's, and thus Amicus was born. And <clears throat> I don't think <clears throat> – I don't know what your research showed, showed you, but Sabotsky especially – now, Sabotsky stayed in Britain, and he was kind of the hands-on, whereas Rosenberg stayed back in the States and worked more on just raising money to, to exactly. fund the stuff. And and Sabotsky w- was always a guy who wanted to make family friendly movies. I think my opinion here, ladies and gentlemen, I think he saw himself as maybe a junior Walt Disney. He wanted to make these family movies, but he was also a businessman and he understood horror would sell. And so he was I think he was always at a quandary personally as to what was going to make money as to what he what he envisioned his his production company to be. It kind of brings us back to the previous episode where we inducted the black hole, where it was realized Disney was like, okay, we're going to start making movies with adults in mind. We're going to start making PG movies because we know that there's more money to be made there if we just, other than sticking 
strictly fan family friendly. Right. Right. And and even the naming of the company, Sabotsky had that family family friendly idea because Amicus is a is, is is of Latin derivation and it means friendly. Right. So right. the the literal name of the of the production company is Friendly Productions. Right. I, I'm looking at the definition as listed at dictionary.com re- representing mm-hmm. an amicus curie aka a friend of the court sure so even by its very name they're going for friendly but their their first couple of movies were not actually horror movies they were a teen musicals like it's it's trad dad i think was one of them they were teen teen which we're talking the mid 60s we're talking the same era as beach blanket bingo and stuff those were hits so I understand they had produced a movie together before they formed Amicus that was a straight horror movie called The City of the Dead. That was one of the earliest film, might have been the first film for, I believe, Christopher Lee, or was it Cushing? I uh, uh, could be. Well, when when did Curse of, Curse of Frankenstein was in the fifties, right? And I think that had, mm-hmm. I think that had Christopher Lee in it. So it did. That was fifty seven. That was Hammer. That was Hammer. Okay, I'm talking about the first movie they oh, did. Oh, the first the, the first movie Christopher Lee did for Amicus. Okay, got it. Yeah, and it was it was it was Christopher Lee. It was Christopher, Lee. but it wasn't Amicus at the time. It was just produced by Sabotsky and okay. Rosenberg. They didn't form Amicus. That, that City of Dead came out in '60. It's 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 Trad Dad and Just for Fun. That was the other one. We're like '62 and '63, and then they formed Amicus. I believe in like late '63, early '64, and they the teen musical comedy was not the hits they wanted, so they went back to what what had worked for them before. They went back to horror with the idea they had pitched this and it, and it, it had become a hit for Hammer. And then City of the Dead, which, like I said, was a, was the first movie they produced together, but it, was, it wasn't actually an Amicus production. It was before they had formed this. They said, okay, we're going to do that. And the next big movie that they did would, would have been from 1965, and it was called Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. And it also had Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it. And Peter Cushing. And – it was it was there that it was pretty much the the slate was laid for Amicus Pictures. They had a hit all of a sudden, and it also created what was what I always kind of called the Amicus formula, which differed from the Hammer formula. The Amicus formula was anthologies mostly, or portmanteaus as they called them. A lot of standalone stuff, you might say, right? Mm-hmm. Where they would have. A series of three to five short stories in one film with an overarching narrator type to connect them. The yeah, yeah, uh, Christopher Lee, show, you know, yeah. right? Exactly. Doctor uh, Terror of the t- in this the titular character of this film was portrayed by Christopher Lee, and he plays a tarot card reading medium or or magician who introduces kind of each one of the stories in the movie. And each one of them revolves around him reading the tarot and, and, and declaring death upon all those that he does a reading for. And that kind of lays the groundwork for that's where they're going to go from here on out. And in, in retrospect, when asked about why they, they focused on these movies, Sabotsky and Rosenberg both said they found it much easier to get bigger name stars to do a short a short film where they would come in and only have to shoot for two or three days and then leave. So they could load Makes up sense. their movies yeah. with, with t- tons of stars instead of having to get a big star and a big, with, with a big salary to come in and do like a 30 day shoot for one movie. And, 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 and it'll be referenced earlier because there was no contract players in England, they could get these guys that because of hammer 
like Christopher Lee, like like Peter, Peter Cushing, Cushing yeah. who were established as horror stars and get him to be in their movies. And even like the, the, the Christopher Lee character, Dr. Terror. Yes, he was the connecting, but you got to figure those are only four or five scenes. They probably shot him in what, three days? Probably, yeah. So that kind of becomes the 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 actual formula they use. Another big difference between them and Hammer is Amicus shooed Hammer was essentially remaking the old Universal stuff. So there was always a gothic feel. They were period pieces were a much more expensive to make because you had to worry about costuming and and sets right. that had to look period. Amicus usually set their stuff and for the time, modern times. Exactly. Yes. Uh, that made it much cheaper and easier to make because it, it was much easier to you didn't have to dress sets up. You could just go out and buy normal. You have your your costumers go out and buy normal clothes. Cars from the 1920s or anything like that. Or, or, or bring in a, a horse wrangler to do horse and carriage work, stuff like that. Yeah, it was much cheaper. And this is – they just started to crank out these these portmanteau anthologies all through the 60s using a combination of the established horror stars, the, the, the Cushings, the Lees, like I said, the Michael Goes, bringing in – uh, lesser known young stars who were on the rise, like a Donald Sutherland was in some of their earlier works. Was just getting his start in in in, in the motion picture industry. Even some actors who were kind of in the middle of their their careers might be in a, in a in a in a a downswing. Like like Joan Collins was in a couple of their movies. She's been a star in Britain as film, and this is years before Dynasty and her kind of reemergence. So they're kind of getting her in the middle of her career, and they also drafted a lot of older stage and silent film stars from Britain who were past their prime. So it was this nice mix of all three. And like, like we said, because they're doing these anthologies, they only need to get these, these casts to come in for a three or four day shoot and then they're done. And and just, and just to clarify, I want to make sure we're on the same page as far as the words that used and just to our listeners know, you use the term portmanteau. That's also kind of a fancy word for anthology, right? Yes, a portmanteau is a it's a fancy word for uh, combining of multiple things. It's it's think think like a, a compound word uh, or a like, musical uh, term like a rhapsody or something like that. You know, right? Exactly, exactly. It's it's that's that's one of those big dollar fifty SAT words us English folks like to use. <laughs> People <laughs> English degrees like to use. But they, like I said, there was a litany of those that went on, but those weren't the only. Horror wasn't the only thing Amicus was doing. They were also doing a sci-fi. I, I, I don't think that Sabotsky ever fully wanted to get away from this idea of doing family stuff. And I think some of his sci-fi stuff was his attempts to try to, to be more family-friendly, but they just didn't make the money that the horror stuff made. Right. Another key element, I think, that probably helped them to – to really get ensconced in the horror world was they had a really, really good working relationship with Robert Block, who was, of course, the 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 award winning Arthur who had written Psycho, the novel Psycho that the, the, the Hitchcock masterpiece had been turned into a movie in 60. And he wrote several of 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 their screenplays or were based on novels of his because he just had a right. good working relationship with them. And that is what my research has shown as well, was that. Rosenberg basically handled the money. He did like the producing part of it. Right. And Sabatsky 
was kind of more in the creative because he did write some of the screenplays, like you said. We'll we'll get to the the two main ones that I know about. But yeah, he 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 did more than just kind of the the production element of it. He he did help with screenplays and and writing and such. And the, the, and the late '60s, early '70s, the company's only been around for about five years at this point, five six years. They 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 actually because once again, keeping with the anthology idea, they even produce two movies, one and a sequel to it that are based on the old EC comics, the tales from the crypt and, and vault of horror. This would be years before HBO does the TV version of it. But there is a connection that, that that's not just a similarity in titles. Mm. That was the actual title of the, the, there were, there were three, there were three horror comics that were huge in the fifties that EC comics produced that essentially got shut down during the congressional hearings that, 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 created the comics code, which if you listen to our podcast, our Geekville radio proper, we've talked about the comics code multiple times when the creation of that and the three, the three titles that EC comics put out were tales from the crypt, vault of horror and haunt of fear. And the first movie that they made was called tales from the crypt. And it was three stories. I think it was three in that movie. They were all actual stories that were in the comics back in the day. And it was a success, so they made a sequel called Vault of Horror, named after the second title. It wasn't nearly the success, but I think it was three stories as well. And they were also three stories that originally had been published in the old EC comics. And in defense of the HBO show, a lot of those were also based on old EC comic stories too from the comics. But it's it's I I, I don't think we need to go into any great detail about how much geek culture changed because of the comics code and the elimination of companies like EC comics and the horror comics going away for a while. Right. I, I mean, do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, it, it is one of those things. I don't want to get on too much of a soapbox because uh, I can understand where some of these people are coming from because mm-hmm. in the end, I think many of them, they wanted, they thought they were trying, they were doing the right thing. I don't think it was just a matter of other uh, other uh, stupid comics. I, I think it was they they genuinely wanted to protect kids from seeing stuff like this. And of course, this was in a society where we didn't have things like DVR and pr- parental filters. You know, th- th- right. these were comics that you literally could just see at the local store, store. On, on your on your way home from, on your way home from school. You just right. walk by and and oh oh here's a horror comic. So right. I'm not saying I endorsed the comic code or anything like that, but it's like I can see where they're coming from. If that makes if that makes any sense, sure, sure, sure. But I, I think we can't underscore the the seismic shift that geek culture took because because it, it wasn't it wasn't just horror comics that got hit hard because of it. Romance comics, true crime. Pulp, I think what the we've western been the pulp stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I think even to a certain extent, the western comics got killed. And they never really recovered in popularity. There have been some characters. I think we've talked about before Ghost Rider, Blade, things of that nature. Maybe Constantine and DC kind of brought some of it back, but never like it was in the, in the late 40s, early 50s. You could agree with that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll take the reins a little bit here because. Sure, we've talked, I've talked about the horror. Now yeah. we need to talk about their other big moneymaker, which was the sci fi. Yes, they, they there's they did sci-fi, they did some thrillers and such because in 1965 they made a movie called Doctor Who and the Daleks. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to be hopefully brief on this because 
I will link the episode in the show notes. But Mark, Greg, and I did a an entire episode directed, directed, dedicated to the Peter Cushing movies. In, in, in part, we also talked the uh, Paul McGann movie from '96, but. Uh-huh. They, they did two Doctor Who movies. They did Doctor Who and the Daleks in 1965 and Daleks Invasion of Earth 2150 AD in 1966. Which, which was a direct sequel, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they are. You don't have to have watched Doctor Who and the Daleks to understand Daleks Invasion of Earth because if you've heard of Daleks, you'll understand. But right. that's all you really need to know. And it starred Peter Cushing as Doctor Who. Now, I know there's going to be some Whovians right now that are going to say, it's, it's the Doctor, not Doctor Who. Well, in this movie, he's Doctor Who, okay? <laughs> yeah, my understanding, and I'm not and I'm not a Whovian, is that it did stray from the TV idea that he actually is not an alien. He is an earthling, and his real na- he is a real Doctor, and his surname is Who. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, yes, that is correct. And he invented the TARDIS. And the other thing that I will defend about this is... The whole lore about Time Lords and the laws of time and, and all this stuff, that had not been put into the show at this point. Mm-hmm. That really didn't start until really probably Packer Troughton's last last year. And really, it didn't mm-hmm. it, they didn't lay it on thick until Tom Baker. But, Which, by the way, you brought it up, so I might as well mention it now. Tom Baker is one of those young up-and-coming actors that Amicus used. I was this waiting for you to say doc- that. <laughs> yeah, pre-Doctor Who run. So... Right. So in this, it, he's just called Doctor Who. He invented the TARDIS. I think they did that just to keep it simple. And But they were inter- adaptions of episodes from the TV show. So oh, okay. there, there are definite similarities there. In, in Doctor Who and the Daleks, when they show up on, on the Dalek planet, that there there is very much almost some scene-for-scene recreation stuff there. And Dalek's Invasion of Earth, I, I forget what it was called for the series, I think it might have even just been called Dalek's Invasion of Earth, but it also took place in the future. So there are also similarities here that I'm getting at that that uh, mm-hmm. they deviated, but it was still in inter- adaptions of episodes. So that's why I will defend them. And the only other defense that I'm going to throw down that I think is pretty impenetrable how can you de- how can you defend these movies as a Whovian? Peter Cushing. I don't I don't exactly. think I need any better defense than that. <laughs> I'm not even a Whovian. I have maybe seen in my entire 49 years on this earth, a grand total of less than an hour worth of, of Doctor Who across all spectrums, all right? And I know Peter Cushing and Doctor Who well, going, that's, that's, that's a marriage made in heaven. Right. And, 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 if, and, to, and to defend the, the, the amicus for doing this, I believe, and I could be wrong, I'd have to, I don't have the hard data in front of me, I believe up until a few years later in like 68, 69 – this was the most financially successful movie that Amicus had done. So there, that in and of itself is a defense, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, I can believe that. And they had plans to do more, but for whatever reason didn't happen, whether it was financial or whatnot. Right. But had they gone right. on a few more years, then the master would have shown up on TV. So that means possibly in some alternate universe, we could have gotten a Peter Cushing Doctor Who against a Christopher Lee master because that's that's just – that has me at hello. Right, right. I think, and that that's, you talk about crossing the streams, that's got the horror fans, that's got the sci-fi fans, it's got the Whovians. That's right. just a geekgasm waiting to happen, isn't it? Right, right, because the original master, Roger Delgado, his gimmick, like, catchphrase, because he had a measure of mind control to him, is he mm-hmm. would look you in the face and he says, I am the master, you will obey me. 
Christopher Lee would knock that out of the freaking park. Sure. <laughs> well, he pretty much does that as Dracula <laughs> in the Hammer films. There, which, 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 which Hammer film is that? Dracula has risen from the grave. That's the one where, I, I, if I remember right, he, he was not happy with the script, so it only has like four spoken lines in it. But the bulk of the movie is there were these close-ups of Christopher Lee's eyes, and he had makeup where he looked like they were red and bloodshot. And he was doing like the, the vampire mind control, and he controls all the pretty ladies in it. And it's like, it's just Christopher Lee's eyes, but he had that penetrating stare, so it worked, even without the makeup. Well, Christopher Lee had a quote that is it, – it's out there on the internet. You can find it, and I have no problem believing that he actually said it. And he had a quote that uh, every actor has to do terrible movies from time to time. The trick is to not be terrible in them. Not to be, <laughs> for you not to be terrible in the best right. actor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. John Pertwee was also a, a, a doctor. Uh, was a doctor at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, he was number three. He was the one before Tom Baker. He was also in Amicus movies. He was another okay. regular in Amicus well, movie. I will check them out. So there is obviously a lot of Doctor Who. But once again, I think look at the time frame we're talking mid 60s to mid 70s in Great Britain. They, by their own admission, are are casting known British actors who are working at there. A lot of there's going to be a lot of crossover there. Am I wrong? Oh, oh no, not not at all. This sounds like it's another horror one, another anthology. But Torture Garden. Look at this cast: Jack Palance, Burgess Meredith, yep. Peter Cushing. Yes. Well, we'll get to that movie. I'll talk a little bit about it when we go by movie by movie what they produced. So it's it, it, it was it was it, I, I can't remember what eventually led to their to their demise, but it was in the late seventies. And I think if I remember right, Sabotsky and Rosenberg both continued on in the filmmaking. They just Amicus went under. Correct. One thing we have we haven't brought up yet. I think it's important to understand the history of Amicus. They were based at Shepperton Studios. Shepperton Studios, or in a suburb of London. I believe in Surrey, that had been famous for years as a as a studio for film being made. I mean, some of the most famous films that are not horror, not Amicus productions that were filmed there were things like Doctor Strange Love and uh, Oliver Twist, which of course won an Oscar. So it was a well known and and for geeks, it should be known that Shepperton Studios is now part of Pinewood Studios. So just one of the premier, if not the premier studio mm-hmm. in, in English filmmaking. I mean, that's where they make the Star Wars movies and the James Bond movies and all that. Yeah. And it's where they made Hammer made all their stuff was at Pinewood. But now now Pinewood owns it and I believe it's like Soundstage One is is his official title. But Shepperton was an old country manor in this, like I said, like in suburban countryside of London. And Shepperton just I've seen pictures of the play. I, I did not visit there when I went to when I went to London, but I've seen pictures of it has that look where you can see why why movies were made there. Does that make sense? Correct, yeah. Just had the big manor house and the gardens and the woods out nearby. You're like, oh, there's so many possibilities for so many different sets here, just location right. shooting. Yeah, and I think that area of England, it's the type of area we Americans think of, oh, well, we're going to go to England and it's all going to look like that. Right, we think it, it's got that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it has that Sherwood Forest esque kind of vibe right. to it. <laughs> right, right. Because for whatever reason, we think Robin Hood. Whatever we think, England countryside. Well, I wonder why. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, it's kind of like uh, I've, I've talked to people from other countries, especially in my younger days, and they would make the joke about how, yeah, all you Americans think that all of Germany looks like Bavaria, and then we Germans think all of the U.S. is going to look like Los Angeles. You know? Right. 
I, I, I floored the number of people when they come here to the American South and they're, 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 they're expecting the Dukes of Hazard or Deliverance. And I take them to a city and they're like, what? I'm like, welcome to the New South, okay? We're not all mountains and swamps. <laughs> and Atlanta, contrary to popular belief, is not what you saw in Gone with the Wind burning down there. <laughs> it's a very modern city now with skyscrapers. Yeah, we we, we got running water and everything. It's kind of cool. <laughs> you have traffic jams, but we don't need to get yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. We're, we're, we've, we've almost caught up to the 1940s. We're doing okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that needed to be brought up because that's a definite tie-in to geek it's it's this the same studios where they made star wars does it get any mm-hmm. more geek than that exactly yeah but now that we've kind of gone over the history of amicus and and the kind of movies we made they made let's just you've got a list there why don't we just go ahead and start listing off some of the movies and and i, I will talk discuss whether we've seen them maybe a little bit about their 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 plot and cast and what so forth Absolutely. Yeah. We'll we'll skip. We can skip over the ones we already talked about. So we talked about City of the Dead. We talked about Dr. Terror's Mm -hmm. House of Terrors. We talked Doctor Who and the Daleks. The Skull, which stars Peter Cushing, Patrick Wymark, directed by Freddie Francis, who's we're going to hear him a couple times on this. It was in 1965. Mm -hmm. Does this ring any bells? Uh, Yeah. If I remember right, The Skull was one of those Robert Bloch ones, if I remember right. Let's see what the Uh, IMDb Yes, yes, us. yeah, it is. It is. It is. It, it was. It's one of those. I remember it now. It is one that was a short story called "The Skull of the Marquis de Sade." So it, it's a. It's a. It's about. It's about a a grave robber stealing the the skull of Marquis de Sade, who of course is a famous French misanthrope during the French Revolution. Who the term sadism comes from? <laughs> comes okay. from him. So okay. yeah. <laughs> The only thing I'll add about Dalek's Invasion of Earth is Bernard Cribbins is in that, and he went on mm-hmm. to be in the new version of the show along with David Tennant. So he has that distinction of he's probably the only guy that was in the movie, one of the movies, and also in the new incarnation of the show. So, But The Psychopath, also directed by Freddie Francis, mm-hmm. does that ring any bells? Or Yeah, that was more of a thriller than it was uh, a horror movie. It, it, I've seen it, but it's been a long time. But they did make a lot of thrillers as well as horror movies. And when we say thriller, think – I usually think like action that also kind of might make you feel a little uneasy, you know? Right. Like uh, one of my favorite thrillers of all time, I think it's easy to go to Silence of the Lambs, but that definitely falls in that category. Are you familiar with Dress to Kill, the Brian De Palma 1980 film? I've heard of Angie, it, but I haven't seen it yet. But but yeah, Angie Dickinson, Michael Caine, yeah, yeah, or Gorky Park is probably a good one that that I would I would add to that list. Yeah, that, that's I would add Gorky Park is another good thriller. Often horror elements, murder, gore, uh, a feeling of uneasiness, but more of a more of a mystery. Think Agatha Christie, think Sherlock Holmes vibe to it as well. But, Not necessarily but, like a whodunit, but a, but a, but more about tension than it is about you know just scary imagery. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Deadly Bees. Once again, your standard. If you've seen one Killer Bee movie, you've seen them all. They do have, They do have, each have their own little unique thing, but it's 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 a nature gone a buck. Do I need to go any further? Right. <laughs> Pretty common di- trope in horror movies, right? <laughs> right. It is directed by Freddie Francis. Uh, the next movie in their list, Torture Garden, directed by Freddie Francis. Torture Garden is yet another one of those that it was a Robert Blotch, I believe, that eh, didn't really didn't. I don't think it really, really hit personally, right. you know, right. we, and we already talked about the cast that. that right. It, so Jack Palance, Burgess Meredith, Peter Cushing. 
Mm-hmm. They came from beyond space, which is looks like it's one of those sci-fi horror things directed by Freddie Francis. That, that <laughs> was that was definitely a sci-fi. That was, I think, Sabotsky's first attempt to try to do a little bit more family friendly, and it just didn't do as well. The Terror Knots from 1967, directed by yet a, Montgomery Tully. Yeah, yet a, yet a, yet another sci-fi shocker. Right. The the Mind of Mister Soames in 1970. And that this one I know nothing about. So, a man who has uh, been in a coma since infancy is awakened. Yeah, another thriller, another psychological thriller. The House That Dripped Blood. This is another anthology. Uh, also yep. has Peter Cushing in it. Also Robert Block. One one of their most well known. Very good, very good movie. This one I've heard of, but haven't seen. This is another one of those that I, I might have seen the ads for it on UHF TV in at, during a Godzilla movie or something. I Monster from 1971. I Monster, I think, was to this day kind of kind of remains polarizing. It was kind of their interpretation of the Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde story. Same thing, right? Man versus self type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Scientist takes a takes a formula and it turns it brings out the beast side of him. It's Christopher Lee as the Doctor. So how can you go wrong, right? Right. I, I was looking at this cast: Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Richard Herndl. And I know we've already talked a lot of Doctor Who, but Richard Herndl was the guy who replaced Hartnell as the first Doctor when they did the Five Doctors in 1983. So there's, so you got there you two go. guys that played Doctor Who at some point in time in the same movie. Yeah, there you go. Asylum in 1972. One of the ones set in modern times, also based on a Robert Block short story. Just a connect, a bunch of connecting stories about stuff in an asylum. You can see how that's pretty much a, a standard horror trope, right? Right, right. Kind of, kind of also fits into that right thriller, right, and uh, anthology type thing. Only here they're kind of all connecting. You said right, R- right, right. Nineteen seventy two also brought us Tales from the Crypt, directed by Freddie Francis, which we discussed already. <laughs> right, right. What became of Jack and Jill? Interesting movie. Very interesting movie. Very controversial at the time. It actually deals with a killer grandmother, and the movie starts with her killing two small children. Even in 1972, that's probably a little disturbing. Yeah, it was it was it was controversial at the time. But once again, I brought up the fact Sabosky probably didn't want to make it because he was wanting a family friendly, but he was also a businessman. Said this will make money, and it did. So, tales that witness madness. Do you not so, not familiar with that one? Uh, it looks like it's another anthology type thing because it looks like it, it. The IMDb description says a psychiatrist tells the stories of four special cases to a colleague. But this is – you'll want to see it after hearing this. It has Donald Pleasance in it. There you go. Another guy did Amicus movies. <laughs> right, right. He's, I think he often is the, is the, is the third and, and, and most forgotten member of what I call the British unholy trinity, which is Cushing, Lee, and Pleasance. <laughs> He's another one of those guys I think had he lived, he would have been in a Star Wars movie in some capacity because you put an Imperial uniform a, on him. <laughs> he should have been a doctor. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not I, even I can see that. I, Yeah, yeah. Also directed by Freddie Francis, The Vault of Horror in 1973. Which, of course, is the, the sequel to Tales of the Crypt. Right. And that's worth mentioning because that's one that has Tom Baker in it, 1973. Right. So it's a year before he became the doctor. Mm-hmm. From Beyond the Grave, 1974. Does that ring a bell? No, it does not. Okay. Well, it, it, again, an anthology of four short horror stories. It stars Peter Cushing, Ian Bannon, and I do not recognize any of the other names. Another next on the list, this is one I know something about because you already linked the trailer, 
at the Examining the Dead podcast Facebook page and on Geekville Radio. And now the screaming starts. Yes, that is the actual name of the movie. Well, first off, it stars Peter Cushing, so how can you go wrong, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Secondly, what made it odd to, to me and is why I, why I highlighted it in my 31 days of lesser-known horror movies for this year is it was Amicus's attempt to enter into the gothic horror world, which, of course, we – it we, takes we, place. We were, it is a period piece. Uh, like, like it is a period piece, yeah. and it also stars David Warner, too, who, of course, is oh, okay. a, a great – and Patrick McGee, so it's got a really, really good cast. It's it's your typical gothic horror. There's a, an old dark house. Lesser nobility moves into it as newlyweds, and it's cursed. And it deals with a, a murder that happened years before on the property but w- with an axe. And I remember as a kid seeing it, and it freaking me out because the ghost in it is missing his hand that was chopped off during the murder, and he's missing his eyes. And they're like – look like his eyes have been gouged out. There's like blood around the empty sockets, which was uh, – a ghost missing his eyeballs and his hands is, is going to freak you out when you're nine years old. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and he understand. Like, and he, he like comes out of the picture – this picture of him. It's like a picture, a portrait, uh, uh, an oil painting portrait of, of the character. And then he comes out of it. The ghost comes out of it. And he's missing his eyes and his hand. You're like, whoa. And the hand is – think think the thing from Adam's Adam family Smith, is, yeah. a dis- yeah, evil is thing, a dis- you know <laughs> yeah is it a disembodied hand crawling around around the, around the house terrorizing so it's it's it did not do that well i i think that it 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 hits a lot of the gothic dark house horror tropes and so it's a real standard story with some real standard kind of meh but the fact that it has the cast it has elevates it because they're so mm-hmm. dedicated to being serious. When you got Cushing Warner and, and, and McGee try, trying to make this thing be seem more important than it probably really was. Yeah, and know? David Warner is another one of those actors that he's done some pretty bad movies, but he's never bad in them. But of course he was he was in he was in the original in the original Omen, which was the first horror movie I saw was a small child. So it has he has a special place in my heart. Yeah, and he's been in some pretty bad horror movies as well, but he was also in Titanic. He had a very yes. memorable role in that. Yes, he did. So it's it's I, I I there's a reason why I posted it. I just I like and how the screaming starts. It, it's this unique attempt by Amicus to try to try to do what their rival did with a gothic horror piece, and it just it's real hit or miss. But it's Peter Cushing, so I can't give it a high enough praise. 1974, The Beast Must Die. That's just going by the title alone, that that sounds like a, a, a can't-miss B-movie. I think if I remember right, it's been a while since I've seen that one, too. I think you had to go all the way to college for me to see that one. That's one of those sci-fi horror. They mm-hmm. didn't do a lot of those. And I think that by the time this came out in the 70s, this is before Alien, but after the, the 50s stuff, that wasn't really a conventional thing at the time. Right, make makes sense. Madhouse in 1974, I would be surprised if you haven't seen this because it has – have. Vincent Price and Peter Cushing in it. <laughs> and I, I think by the title, you can kind of figure out what's going on there. <laughs> right, right. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, you got anything else that you, on your list there that you wanted to? Got, got, got a couple more here. 1974, The Land That Time Forgot, which this this is one that sounds like it interests me because it has to do with a, a German U-boat in World War mm-hmm. One. That one I'll, I'll I'll probably check out. I don't know if there's any others that you can think of as far as well, one, movies. One that, one that you didn't list, which I just is kind of an oddball, but I think it's worthy of a horror credit, and you'll understand when I explain it, was from 1968. I believe it was. 
Yeah, 68. Uh, the Birthday Party, which is actually based on a Harold Pinter play. So here they are. Harold Pinter was a very well-known and renowned playwright, and they're turning it into a movie. But what, 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 what is really fascinating, besides the fact that that seems completely like nothing else they've done. This is not sci-fi. This isn't horror. It's a, a dramatic play. It was directed by William Friedkin, who, oh, of, course, okay. would yeah. direct, yeah. of course, would go on to direct The Exorcist. So there you go. William Friedkin would go on and direct several successful horror movies, The Exorcist being the most famous. So I think that's worthy of inclusion because, one, it's an oddball for this studio, and two, who directed it. Absolutely. So I think those are really the main ones, like if, if, you, if you can find them, go watch them because there, there's a couple other that are listed on the IMDb list that I'm going to link at the in the show notes at geekfulradio.com. Yeah, the ones I would strongly suggest, Dr. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, even though it's not an amicus, it was the first partnership between Sabotsky and, and Rosenberg. I would suggest I would suggest City of the Dead, The Skull, the, and now The Screaming Starts, both the, the Doctor Who movies, The House That Dripped Blood is an excellent anthology. I would check that one out. And the rest, if you want to take the time to find them, do. But those are the ones that I would, to get an idea of what they do, what they did. Terranauts might not be another bad one just to get a kind of an idea of, of amicus sci-fi outside of Doctor Who. So that's my personal suggestions. But any of them are worth your time. If any of you are interested in looking at any of these movies, most of the ones we've named were released in 2003 by Anchor Bay Productions and a six DVD set that comes in a beautiful box shaped like a coffin. So <laughs> that might be one of the easiest ways to try to find a lot of these movies at one time. I do believe some of them are available either to stream or free on, on YouTube right now. But I, I haven't looked, but I get a feeling something like a DVD set like that would be available on Amazon or eBay, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially since there's always something better about physical media. There's something yes. about a DVD that you can pick up, that you can read some notes in, that you can put into your player and all that jazz. That doesn't get lost when your hard drive crashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when does that happen? <laughs> Never. So we've kind of come to the end of Amicus and really – both Sabatsky and Rosenberg did have continued success after Amicus. A couple of the names on the list for movies that Sabatsky was part of, one of them is Maximum Overdrive, which we covered in a previous episode of right. Examining the Dead. Uh, Rosenberg, he kept on working well into the 90s. So there, it, it's just, I guess the best way I can say it is like these guys, it's it's not like their lives ended when Amicus ended. They, they still right. went on to make more movies. Now, if you want deeper knowledge into the history of Amicus, I do want to recommend a book. Now, granted, I have not read it, and there is no monetary exchange here. I'm just saying if you, if you want to seek out information about Amicus, there's a book out there by a man named Alan Bryce called Amicus, The Friendly Face of Fear, and it's a pretty uh, thorough history of the studio. Now, I don't know if you had any anything you wanted to add to that as far as if anybody wanted to continue their uh, research yeah. into Amicus. Yeah. Mr. Bryce also edited another book that I was that you might want to look into called Amicus, The Studio That Dripped Blood. They're both just – I have not read either one. I've skimmed through uh, Friendly Horror. I've seen them both in my public library. They have a lot of pictures in the one that I skimmed through, but they seem to be pretty good historical coffee book table type look at the history of the studio. 
And when you did bring up Sabotsky doing Mask of Overdrive, it is noteworthy in the horror world that Sabotsky went on to be involved with a lot of the Stephen King adaptations in the late 80s up until his death in 1991. I think his final movie credit was Sometimes They Come Back Again, which, of course, is a is based on a Stephen King work. Which actually came out five years after he died, but he's still credited for it. Right, right. It was like his last yeah, his final movie credit, but he got involved with a lot of the Stephen King stuff in the late eighties. You know, I think like a cat people, sometimes they come back, maximum overdrive lawnmower man. So these are all, he, I don't know if he knew King personally or, or just, he, you know, he was involved in getting the rights to him, but does it get more horror than, than being a producer on a whole bunch of Stephen King movies? Right. Exactly. And then with Rosenberg, cause I remember that name that, that, that was a name I think I was hearing when I was working in movie theaters in, in the early nineties, but some of the stuff you see aside from the hammer, like you had said about cat people and movie movies like that, where they might not have been a list horror stuff, but it, it's like the, the people that know the genre know them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. One more day to go. One last day, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes. One day left for National Podcast Post Month 2023, a.k.a. Napod Pomo. So we got one show left, and the best way I can describe tomorrow's show is it's really kind of eclectic, potpourri, and maybe downright crazy and silly. So I hope you enjoy the off-the-wall crazy stuff that I have in store tomorrow. So... This has been Geekville Radio. As usual, you can find us at geekvilleradio.com, the podcast platform of your choosing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Give us a subscribe, give us a follow, give us a review. Say whatever you want. As I keep saying, I value feedback, especially when it's genuine. We're also on the social media, Facebook, Twitter slash X and Instagram, all under the name Geekville Radio. You can give us feedback there as well as on the site itself because the posts at geekvilleradio.com, the show notes and such, there is a reply section there so you can actually give feedback as well. So until tomorrow when we got some really crazy stuff coming your way, thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved. You know, going back to actors doing producing with Adam Sandler, I just remember a quote from Bruce Campbell from a few years back where he took a fan question and they said, uh, I know you do some of the producing. And Bruce Campbell, just in total Bruce Campbell form, just says, yeah, I do some of the producing. Here and there, when I feel like it, I'll do some producing. <laughs> <laughs> that is so Bruce Campbell. <laughs> uh.